I'd like to take just a few moments to speak on the three I am's for Thanksgiving. The three I am's for Thanksgiving. If you would please stand with me as I read from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, where the Apostle Paul, writing to a series of churches in the Colossae area, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the church, the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. May we pray together. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight we are grateful that we can exalt Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Creator, the Savior, and yes, the judge of the universe. Father, I pray tonight as we see who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and the Holy Spirit, that, that our hearts will be filled and overflowing with thankfulness to the God who made us. Father, help us to see that we are not here to please ourselves, but to please you, to live for you, to honor you. Bless now your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, verse 15 is speaking of Jesus Christ. And the apostle Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the representation of the triune God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The firstborn is the prototokos. And that does, does not mean that he had a beginning, that he had a point in time where he began, because he is eternal. He is the primary one. That's what it means. He is the most important one, but he is eternal. Now watch, look at verse 16. Look what it says about Jesus. For by him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth the visible, the invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, we're talking about the angelic host, all things were created by him. Who? By Jesus. By him and, say it with me, for him, for him. He is the creator. That is a big wow. Because Jesus created you, you have an eternal soul, and you will one day stand before your Creator. It will happen. Have you ever thought about that moment that you will literally enter God's presence? I mean, really to try, imagine in your mind's eye that moment you step from this life into the presence of God in heaven. I cannot exaggerate what a shock that moment will be like to have your faith turn to sight. Isaiah had the experience, didn't he? Isaiah chapter 6. 
And you know what he did when he saw the seraphim and the cherubim and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the Bible says that the post of the door uh, moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house, the temple was filled with smoke. And you know what he did? He fell down. He bowed. He worshiped. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. To have a vision of being in the presence of God. It's going to sh absolutely shock us all. And what a joyous moment that will be to be in God's presence. When the psalmist praised God, the Bible says they praised him on the high-sounding cymbals. They praised him uh, on the uh, psaltery and harp. They clapped their hands. Psalm 134, 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's going to be God and God alone, audience of one. Now, you have to think about, is that really true? Is it really true that, that we have a creator, he created us, and we're going to stand before that creator and give an account to him? Well, you have to, you have to sift through the many lies about our origins, and you're going to have to set them aside as false. That we are here by some cosmic accident. We are here because aliens planted us here. Well, you know, that God really doesn't care about you. Uh, that's all wrong. The Bible says... Deep in your heart, you know, you know there is a God, and you know that he created you. Romans chapter 1 says you have no excuse. It doesn't matter who told you the lies. Maybe your parents told you the lies uh, that there is no God or that he didn't create. Maybe you heard it in school from a teacher. Uh, maybe you heard it from a professor in college. Maybe you read it on the internet or in a book or a magazine article. But I'm telling you tonight, the Bible says you are without excuse because God put it in your heart. You are without excuse. Romans chapter 1. God says you can look around and know that I made you. God determined when you would be born. God determined where you would be born. God determined who you would be born to. It's all his choice. Acts chapter 17. Do you remember in school when you began to learn about this wonderful globe? Look here in Colossians 1.16. In 1.16, By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Right now, right now, we are seated on a ginormous ball straight below us. If you were to go straight down from this auditorium and go through the crust of the earth and go all the way down, uh, you would go down to a core of magma, of lava, of fire. And there's just this thin shell on top of it. And then on top of that, there's two-thirds of it's covered by water, the seas. We are sitting on a fiery ball that is spinning Around at a thousand miles an hour, we complete one revolution every 23 hours and 56 minutes. And you're just sitting there. I mean, you're not even holding on to anything. And we're going a thousand miles an hour. Something called gravity is holding us down. Now, you've never seen gravity, it's invisible, but it works. We learned when we were about 12 months old where we could stand, begin to toddle, and begin to learn to walk and take our first step, and gravity kept winning, didn't it? Gravity kept winning. 
And then when we get old, really old, gravity starts to win again, doesn't it? <laughs> starts to win again. That's why I got a building program. Make some room around here. And then this spinning ball we call the earth is flying around the sun. What do you think about our spinning ball that is flying around that massive ball of fire that is 1.3 million times the size of the earth? And we're flying around it through space at 67,000 miles per hour. And it's, it's 93 million miles away. And we say things like, wow, you think it's a little hot today. It's a little cold today. You understand that we are in the perfect balance that if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we would burn. We'd burn up. If we were just a little bit farther away from the sun, we would give some new thoughts to it's a little hot today it's a little cold today are you kidding me we're 93 million miles away not only are we spinning but we are tilted just right and here we are sitting in this room we're talking we can laugh we can cry we can think we can live we can plan tomorrow and some people say yeah, it's just an accident you know, two billion years ago, there was an explosion. No, no, four billion years ago, eight billion years ago was an explosion. They keep changing because they don't know. They profess themselves to be wise, and they became, they became fools. Really? An accident? Explain the love you feel. How would that just evolve? How would love evolve? Explain when you have tears of laughter, tears of joy or sorrow. No, we were created. We see God's divine nature in all of life. I can look around and see him. I see his creative fingerprints. It's awesome to know that I am not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You were made on purpose. and You will live forever somewhere so God says in this passage I made you I have a reason to put you on this earth so we come to the first I am the first I am for Thanksgiving is I am created for him I am created for him verse 16 <coughs> and verse 16 for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth I drop down all things were created by him and say it again for him I am created for him. Don't miss those two words. Why were you created? For him. Would you say it again? For Why were you created? For him. Now consider this being who created this amazing world and he keeps it spinning in motion and he holds it all together and we know that he is there. What are we to do? We're to worship him. We're to love him. We're to serve him. We're to obey him. What does he want us to know about him? He wants us to know that he loves us. And so to prove that he loved us, Jesus Christ, his son, came, lived the perfect life, died upon the cross, and rose again. We're not just to focus on him for a couple of hours on Sunday or an hour on Wednesday. This is every day. We are created by him and for him. That's thanksgiving. I'm created for him. Uh, the second I am of thanksgiving. I am to give him 
glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. <coughs> do you believe that we should take the scriptures literally? Okay, how, how do you eat and how do you drink for the glory of God? Everything should point to him. So how do I, how do I eat for the glory of God? And so... I'd like to illustrate the Bible. <laughs> and I have a cookie here tonight. Uh, this cookie is oatmeal raisin. I promise to take my stash up to our uh, pie fellowship in just a few minutes. <coughs> it will be one short cookie, though. <laughs> I, I want you to think about eating. Now, when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, every time God made something, he made a statement. You remember what he said? This is... This is good. You remember that. This is, this is good. That's good. That's good. I mean, he created light and darkness, and he said, that's good. Uh, my whole job is to agree with God and say, yes, Lord, that's good. I mean, this earth is amazing. The sun, moon, and stars, the gravity, the oceans, and tide, it's incredible. The way I feel about my wife and kids and grandkids, how I love them and cherish them, this is just wonderful. Then, every once in a while, God kind of breaks through and does something supernatural here on this earth. We mentioned this morning, the healing of Dave Davis, Kevin Nickerley, and Anthony Baker. He broke in. He answered our prayers when medical signs said, uh, we're done. We're done. And God says, I'm not. God wants us to glorify him in not just the big things, but he wants us to glorify him in the little things. And Paul says, I want you to glorify him when you eat. Did you ever think about how God created that? Eating is good. Isn't it awesome? I only got two amens on that. Isn't eating awesome? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, all, right, all right, well, you convinced me. Okay, so. <laughs> I am eating to the glory of God. <laughs> right? Right here, right now. You know when you, you, when you chew, you, you begin to taste the oatmeal and the raisin. I'm sure there's sugar in there, too. And, and what happened? Biting is good, isn't it? Like take a bite of an apple. You take the bite, and that's good. That's good. And then you begin to chew, and then something happens. All these saliva glands go swish, swish, swish. Where's that come from? And uh, and then all of a sudden your brain begins to process. Mm, I like this. This is good. It's all connected. It's all connected. And then you swallow, and it goes back, uh, back down your throat and you swallow and hit your belly and your belly says ding 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 uh, this is good this is good this is God God made it this way and this is the way it gives nutrients well maybe not this but <laughs> most of the time you get these nutrients that sustains life God made that God could have made us like the plants you know where the plants get their nutrients through the roots where are the roots at? In the dirt. So God could have made it that when you walk around and then it, you just suck it up like the plants. He, he could have, couldn't he do that? He's God. I mean, he did it with the plants. He did it with the trees. Uh, he, he could have done it that way with us, but he didn't. 
He says, no, no, watch this. I'm going to create something called eating. <laughs> and eating is good. Wow. That was good, God. What amazing creation we are a part of. This is our creator, God. I mean, whether the world is spinning, uh, whether we're flying through space, whether gravity is holding us down, whether our, our, uh, uh, our heart and lungs continue to beat and breathe, even when we're asleep, we're unconscious, uh, but he makes us so that, that we continue to function, our brain continues to function. Uh, we can eat and we say, wow, we can fall in love and have a family and say, wow, we can have brothers and sisters in Christ in a loving church family, and we can say, wow, and we can sing, you are a great and glorious God. I mean, every emotion we have points to God. God, you are an amazing being. Now, I understand there's pain. There's pain. I, I, I've had known my share of pain and loss in family, and so have you. The presence of pain does not cancel out the good things that God created. All of us have been victims of other people because he gave mankind the free will. Others are going to hurt us and we're going to hurt others. And so if someone in our church family, they got up really early and they went grocery shopping before dawn on Friday morning and they got home at 5.30 in the morning and four thugs attacked them. I thought thugs were asleep at 5.30 in the morning. Apparently not. But you know, they took his wallet, but they didn't take his life. They stole, they stole some credit cards that were shut down and a license, but they didn't steal his joy. And his greater concern was that when they took that wallet, they found the tract, and his prayer is that maybe one of them will get saved. And when he gave the report to the detective at 9 o'clock last night, and he said, hey, can I tell you one more thing? Yes. Let me tell you how to get to heaven from a police station. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Committed to the mission. Committed to sharing the gospel. Yes, yes, there is going to be pain because we live in a creation that is under the curse of sin. Bad things happen, and there is death on this earth. And some of you are sick right now. Some of you are grieving. Uh, we will not get all of the answers to all of our questions this side of heaven. There is an enemy here. That enemy is sin. But whether you are uh, experiencing good or bad, uh, we are to use everything for his glory, whether you go through a fire or not. If you're in pain, if you're not in pain, if you're healthy, if you're not healthy, you're to seek to give glory to God. We're to show people that we can rejoice in the Lord because I know him. I am here to give him glory for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's all going to make sense when we step into his presence. And some of you right now, you're in a season of trial and suffering, and others are in a season of blessing. Right now, you have so much, you just don't know what to do with your abundance. Why not use out of your abundance and invest in God's work and reach more people with the gospel, starting right here at, at Valley Forge Baptist Temple. What a joy to be able to tell you about, about Drew Gray, one of the early converts of our bus ministry. You see him growing up married. He was a Christian school teacher for a while. Now he's a father educator helping drug addicts come to Christ. And then from that service I go up and three teenagers helped Lynn prepare a Thanksgiving meal for all the bus kids 
and the workers. What a blessing. So the pain, the health, the wealth, everything is to be used for God's glory, even the cookie. Whether you eat or drink, I am to give him glory. One more I am. I am to give him thanks. Back to Colossians 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Oh, we need to be reminded that we do not just thank God because he gives us gifts. No, no, no. We need to say, I love the giver of the gifts. I love the giver of the gifts. We don't need the gifts to make us happy. And that was the way the early church was. They said, you know, I'm going to sell it. I'm just going to sell it, and, and we'll give it uh, to the church, and they can help people because we have people that have come from far away, and they got saved, and they're here in Jerusalem. I don't need my stuff to be happy. I'll just, I'll just give it away. The challenge in our culture is to fight the temptation to live for ourselves and not him. We are tempted to live for our own pleasure. We don't look at ourselves as a created being created for him. And too many times we have this idea that, well, he created us and gave us a free will just to do whatever we want to do and please ourselves. You know, that's what Adam and Eve did. They got to the place where they didn't want to stay under the authority of God. And they wanted to do their own thing. God said, I don't eat of that tree. I mean, you got the whole Garden of Eden, that tree, don't eat of that tree. And they began to say, did God really say that? Did God really say that? I think this is going to be a good thing for me. And they came out from under the lordship of God, and you know the rest of the story. But you know, we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. God sets up his authority. He sets it up at home. He sets it up at church. He sets it up in government. He sets it up where you work. And then we come along just like Adam and Eve and say, but I want to do my own thing. I want to do my way. I don't care what the authority says. You are Adam and Eve. You're Adam and Eve. Do you know how you can give thanks to God? By believing him, that's faith, and by obeying him, that's love. That's good. How can you give thanks to God? By believing him, that's faith, by obeying him, that's love. If you love me, keep my commandments. What a great way to say thank you to God. I've shared with you before, and I want to just remind you again, you can come up with your own plan, but I think it would really be good to, to do something that, that is visible and tangible. And maybe you get together with your family, maybe you get together with some other families, because some don't have family in this part of the country or the world. But when you get together, a little exercise you can do is you just have some little pieces of paper and have some pens and write down something meaningful that you are thankful for. And you kind of fold it up and you, you do two or three of them and you stick it in a bowl and you kind of shuffle it around and, and then you take turns and you, you take turns pulling it out and you read what someone wrote that they are thankful for. And then you try and guess who wrote it. In our family, that's kind of easy. Maybe it will be for yours as well. Would you just make Thanksgiving an attitude? Would you make Thanksgiving a part of who you are? Because the Bible says 
when you are filled with the Spirit, you're going to give thanks always for all things. And I promise you're going to get a lot less frustrated and upset and angry because you're filled with thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful evening we have had. I thank you for our staff and deacons and their spouses who would pitch in just to be a blessing to our church family tonight. I thank you that we can have some refreshments and that we, yes, we can glorify you by eating and drinking and fellowshipping, talking about how great our God is. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time and bless this week and really do a spiritual work in our hearts uh, to pull us away from being so critical and, and so upset and so frustrated because we, we don't get our way. But, Lord, you're going to get your way and that we are created by you and for you. And so, Lord, help us to, to dwell upon that, to meditate upon that, and to think of that moment when we will step into your presence. Oh, God, it is our desire to hear from you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and that we might have crowns to cast at the feet of Jesus Christ because we chose, we chose a life of faith and obedience and faithfulness, pointing people to you, whatever came into our lives. Thank you for, I thank you for a church family that is constantly on the lookout to share the gospel, to plant the seeds, to share a testimony, to pass out a tract, uh, to be a witness by life and through word. Now help us, empower us to exalt Jesus that he might have the preeminence in our lives, our homes, our church and school. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's all stand. You need the grace of God as well. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians chapter 1. Over the last 35 years, we've talked about how to be thankful, who to be thankful to, why to be thankful, how giving thanks pleases God and encourages other people. But this morning, uh, I want to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. He told the Christians at Philippi that he was thankful to God for them. And then he told them why. So this is going to be more of a testimonial message of my thanksgiving for you. Tonight, we're going to sing that great hymn, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. And that's how I feel right now. My heart is full and overflowing with thankfulness. This year, God has emphasized some great lessons in, in my life because of our study of Philippians. Look with me in your notes. In your notes, how to experience joy in Christ and not in circumstances. Are you tempted to let, let the things people say steal your joy? How about this? Commitment to the mission, sharing the gospel. One of our members had a traumatic event at 5.30 a.m. Friday morning as he returned to his home in Norristown after grocery shopping. Four thugs assaulted him. They stole his wallet. They stole a bag of his groceries. Uh, police were called. Jody and I prayed with him yesterday. This is what he said. This is what he said. 
I'm glad they stole my wallet because it has a tract in it. I'm glad they stole my wallet because it has a tract in it. Maybe one of them will get saved. That's commitment to the mission. This morning he told me that he was called to the detectives at 9 p.m. last night and he gave his statement and what little description he could give because as you can imagine it was dark at 5.30 and then when he was done he said this, may I say something else to you? He said, is it about the case? He said, no. He said, sure, go ahead. And he began to explain how the detective could go to heaven from the police station. Amen. That's commitment to the mission. Notice what else we learned. Personally strive to maintain local church unity. Humility results in sacrificial service. You achieve victory over worry through prayer. We battle for the mind. It, it is won by dwelling on godly thoughts. Obedience brings the peace of God. And then contentment rests in the providence of God. And so this is what God has been teaching in my life this year. Many more lessons from this book. With Anthony Baker's illness and miraculous recovery, we are all reminded again about the brevity of life. Here today, gone tomorrow. And so I, I prayed to God this week, Lord, if this was my last sermon to preach on this earth, what would you want me to say? And he led me to Philippians 1.3. I thank God for you. And so would you please stand with me as I preach a message. I am thankful to God for the people of Valley Forge Baptist Temple. We'll put it into the context. Let me read beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he God which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye are all partakers of my grace. May we pray. Our Father, we now enter into your courts with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts because of who you are, because of what you've done. Father, I pray if there is one, one here today that is not certain that heaven is their home, may the Spirit of God convict and draw, may they receive Christ as Savior today. And Lord, for every Christian, Lord, help us to set aside the distractions, fill our hearts with thankfulness because of all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you see in your notes there, all the best things in your life come from God. Do, do you really believe that? Or do you think, well, you know, I work hard, I deserve it. Every good thing in your life is a gift from God. Look what James 1 says. Every good gift and perfect gift 
is from where? It's from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. But all of the great and wonderful things that God gives us, I mean family and health and home and work and freedom and food, clean air and water and safety, all of the great and wonderful things that God gives us, his greatest gift of all is himself, his salvation. But God gave you a free will. He will not force you like a robot to receive salvation against your will. Irresistible grace is not in the Bible. God says, I love you, and I desire that you love me in return. Now, what we're talking about here is we're talking about where you will spend forever. This is serious business. What if this was my last sermon to preach? What if it was your last day to live on this earth? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if it would be you tonight be in the hospital because you have the E. coli bacteria in you and you're unconscious and you're in a coma and only God would know if you would make it or not. I want you to be genuinely sure that you have a relationship with God. Paul had that confidence in verse 6, being confident of this very thing. On Friday at 4 a.m., Eleanor Ziegler entered the presence of her Lord. She did not fear death. She wrote out her funeral service. I mean, she picked the songs, and she picked the soloist. Uh, she picked the scripture. I mean, she even picked out the pallbearers. That's confidence. Do you know what this piece of paper says to me? It says to me, I do not fear death. You know what it says to me? It says, I look forward to being with my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's confidence. If you knew you were going to die today, would you say, yeah, that would be, that'd be just great, the last day of my life. I'm so, so secure in my relationship with Jesus Christ. He is my most important relationship in life. I can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die, to die is more of him. Death will bring me closer to him. Can you imagine that if this were your last day to live and by this evening, by tonight, you would be in the presence of God and that would be the greatest experience of your life to be in heaven, to be with God, surpassing every other experience multiplied together. But sometimes people come to church and they say in their heart, well, I think I believe and I, I'm pretty sure I believe, but you know, I have some doubts. I was reading some things. I saw some things. Or maybe you sing songs about the return of Christ. I really think there are people here today who secretly wish that Jesus would not return today. I mean, seriously. The rapture would mess up all of your plans, right? I want to do this and I want to do that. Or those who are thinking in their hearts, I'm not even sure if God is real. Nobody knows it but you and God. May I tell you that God has solid answers to your questions? May I say that God is not afraid of your questions? Questions of faith? Before you walk out of those doors this morning, you can have the confidence 
that the Apostle Paul had. You can have the confidence that Eleanor Ziegler had. You can have the confidence that Anthony Baker had that heaven is your eternal home. You can say, I am confident. We're talking about where you will go forever. You can get that settled today. And God, God will fill your heart with thankfulness. And so I am grateful for some of the same things the Apostle Paul was grateful for in verse 3. Look at it. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So church family, I say to you today, I am thankful for you as I share my gratitude for my heart for the things I find here. Maybe you will find some of the same gratitude. Number one, number one, I thank God for our associate pastors and our deacons. Verse 1, Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timotheus, Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, that's the church, in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Now, there are two offices in the New Testament church, bishop, pastor, elder, is the same office, and deacons. Titus 1.5, they ordained elders in every city as I'd appointed thee. Paul knew the leadership of this church. Paul led these men to Christ. Paul discipled these men. Paul loved them, and they loved him. And so he addresses uh, the leaders. They were teaching God's truth. They were serving faithfully. They were doctrinally sound. They were morally pure. You know, the 130 churches the Apostle Paul is responsible for starting in the first century, uh, there was one church that was missions-minded. There was one church that was missions-hearted. There was one church that was giving to missions. And Paul could look and say, you know, this church stands head and shoulders of them all. Because they support me. They care for me. And they've done it time and time again. Uh, even today, a lot of churches, they don't care about missions. But this, this church did. And I thank God for our four associate pastors and 12 deacons. They are godly men with godly lives, just like these men in verse 1. Like the Philippian pastors and deacons, they are our, our associate pastors. They are doctrinally sound. They are morally pure. They serve faithfully. And I could not do what I do without their ministries. If you only knew just a few of the church leadership problems in our area and around the country, you'd be thanking God every day with me for our associate pastors and our deacons. Most pastors and staff, they leave their churches or they resign the ministry because of problems with deacons or other staff members. The longevity, the longevity of our staff and deacons is a work of God. If we were left to do this on our own power, we'd have messed it up a long time ago, a long time ago. I thank God for our associate pastors and deacons. And in your notes there, between now and Christmas... I would ask you to please make it a goal to say thank you to one, two, three, four, or five. Write a short note to them. Many times, many times when you are, when you are home Sunday afternoon having lunch or at a restaurant, there's a deacon still here doing the ministry and locking up. When you're home on Wednesday night in bed, many times there are associate pastors and deacons. They're still here in this building, and they're doing God's business so we can do what we do uh, to reach our community. Thank them. Number two, I thank God for your encouragement. Verse 5, Paul says, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What is that? 
That's encouragement. Oh, how they encouraged him. Encouragement is, is oxygen for the soul, George Adams said more than 100 years ago. Look on page 3. The dictionary says, encouragement means to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. I mean, we all need it. We all, <coughs> we all need encouragement in life, uh, not just to survive, but to thrive. When you encourage someone personally, sincerely, and frequently, you are filling their sails with the wind to keep them to keep on keeping on. And I'm thankful for our family that encourages me, Jody, and our family. Full time ministry is one of the most emotionally stress filled professions. I mean, the emotional swings of ministry go from the greatest of joys uh, to the greatest of sorrows. In the last eight days, uh, we've been involved in more than a dozen of these emotional extremes from meeting with a, a man on hospice, one of our senior saints entering heaven, to others being united in marriage yesterday, uh, several more going through the, I mean, the trial of their life, and many just burn out from it. But encouragement is the key to longevity in ministry. I'm so thankful that you give it again and again. J.R. McGee and Bonnie, we're married here yesterday, and Jody, Jody, she sang at their wedding. But you know that Jody also sang at both of their spouses' funerals. You know, we sorrow together, but then we rejoice together. I thank God for your encouragement. Number three, I thank God for your patience. We find that in chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye also were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Second Corinthians 8, we learn that these Philippians had experienced suffering and persecution and deep poverty, but even in their deep poverty, they said, Hey, hey, let's pass the plate. We got to take up a, a missionary offering for the Apostle Paul. They were patient, they endured, they did not give up on their missionary. I mean, Paul is now in prison. He is slandered, he is falsely accused, he might be executed. Church family, I want to thank you for your patience with me as I have made so many mistakes over the years. When I was a younger man, you were patient with me. Now that I'm an older man, notice I didn't say old, and now that I'm an older man, you are still patient. Uh, James wrote, Be not many masters, be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. What does that mean? The greater scrutiny. I have given over seven thousand sermons lessons and devotionals yes you are a patient bunch but Linda Orfanos is here from the first Sunday how would you like to have that kind of scrutiny over what you say publicly seven thousand times and then to know you got to give an account to God for every single word that you say heavy responsibility and for those who are newer to our church, you may be unaware of the many mistakes that I have made over the years as a pastor. Let me give you a couple of examples of how you have been patient with me. I thank God for your patience. Uh, I thank God that you are patient with my preaching. Our first year as a church, we averaged 18 people. I pastored a very small church for several years. I, I remember reading a story by Pastor Chuck Swindoll, 
Most of you have heard him on the radio. Uh, he is a master storyteller, been on the radio for about four decades. I used one of his stories, and it illustrated a point perfectly. It had a little humor in the story, but he described a child as a brat. And I told the story just as he told it, and it was a blessing to some of the folks. After the service, one of our new ladies came to me with tears running down her cheeks, crying, Oh, pastor, pastor, I have to talk to you about tonight's sermon. You called a child a brat. I said, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. She said, Every child is precious, and no child should ever be called a brat. I forgive you. And you know, she really did forgive me because her and her husband, for the next three Thanksgivings, until they moved away, they would knock at the door unannounced, and they'd bring bags of groceries. And in those bags of groceries were meat. I'm talking roast beef that was like gold to us in those days. We didn't have a lot of meat, and so that was a great blessing. So she really did uh, grant forgiveness. Lest I offend, I haven't said the word brat in a sermon for 34 years. <laughs> Check the notes. Until today, I haven't said it for 34 years. And at first, it was a puzzle to me. I mean, how in the world did Chuck Swindoll get away with saying that to a megachurch? How did he then rebroadcast it to millions of people on Insight for Living? How did he get away with it? Well, here's what I discovered. You know what? That couple were unable to have kids. And so their heart was very sensitive to children. Uh, they went on to lovingly open their home to foster children and even adopt I thank God for your patience with my preaching. And secondly, I thank God with your patience through my mistakes. Uh, church planter Grant Rice, he was triple my age. He was here right after we moved into our first building. We drove by and saw a little bus for sale. Uh, he said to me, Pastor Scott, you need to buy that little bus. You need to start a bus ministry and get boys and girls and, and reach their moms and dads with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I called and I got the information, the miles, the cost. cost $1,500 for that used bus. On Wednesday night, I enthusiastically held a short business meeting and I said, Brother Grant Rice and I are out. We spotted a bus for sale. Uh, it has so many miles, it's only $1,500. Any questions? And hands started going up. Question one. Do you have a record of its maintenance? Uh, no. Uh, two, uh, the ratings on Consumer Reports, what do they say about this particular bus? Uh, I don't know. Question, question, question. It was the only business meeting I was totally unprepared for in the last 35 years. I said, you know what, those are all good questions. They are good questions. I'm going to get some answers, and we can discuss it Sunday night after the uh, evening service. On Friday, a church member named Brian called and said, Pastor, my wife and I were talking after the Wednesday night service, and we want to buy that bus. No cost to the church budget. I'll park it out front so people can see it, and they can get on it. I said, wow, wow. Sunday morning, our first little bus was in front of the building. You can imagine what people could have said as they came to church that day. Oh, look at this. Look at this. The pastor said, we're going to talk about this tonight. He went out and bought the bus himself. What kind of dictator is he? What's going on around here? 
Now, I thank God for your patience. I joyfully explained that a church member had anonymously bought the bus at no expense and gave it to the church. And in a short time, we began a bus ministry that continues to this day. Some of the teen girls were out with some of the folks and they prepared a Thanksgiving dinner. And those bus kids are going to have a, a joyous meal after this service. Drew Gray was saved because we have a bus ministry. He called me last month and he asked for advice about a new role that he has called Father Educator. I want you to see a picture of Drew with his little baby, uh, Riley. Take your bulletin and open your bulletin and go to where the Missionary of the Week normally is and look at the VFBT Bus Ministry Fruit. <coughs> the beginning of my life was a harsh awakening to the sinfulness of this world. My parents were drug addicts who struggled with the all-consuming addiction in their life. I was deprived of the bare necessities needed to survive. I lived in poverty. I spent time in foster care due to my parents' struggle with their addiction. There was no joy or comfort, just misery. However, by God's grace, that all changed one day. I was invited to attend a Sunday school bus at a local church in my area, Valley Forge Baptist Temple. It was a reprieve to be away from the house I was living in for a few hours every Sunday. It was such an inviting and warm atmosphere. My first Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Colton, took an interest in our family. And here's a picture of one of Mrs. Colton's Sunday school picnics uh, with Drew in it. Uh, she took uh, Drew and Shelby uh, to different events, including the Nutcracker at Christmas time. The Coltons have been the biggest blessing in my life, and I cannot express how thankful I am the Lord brought them into my life. Pastor Colton led me to the Lord in a parking lot one day after treating us to pizza. The Lord spoke through Pastor Colton about the love of Christ and the assurance of an eternity with him. The Coltons were so kind to me and my family. They showed me that I wanted to love the Lord like they do. Later that year, my father overdosed on opiates. He sadly lost his struggle to addiction and did not come to know the Lord. My mother abandoned my sister and I, and she lost her battle with addiction years later. Valley Forge Baptist Temple was such a wonderful support to my sister and I. Pastor Wendell, even without knowing my father, conducted the funeral service for him. I was taken into the home of a church member. We enrolled in the academy, and they helped teach us how to live for Christ. I was angry for a long time and rebelled, but eventually the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart, and I repented of my sinful, rebellious ways. Here's a picture of Drew with his beautiful Christian wife, Corrine, and their baby, Riley. I truly believe if it wasn't for the love of God in my life, I would have ended up like my parents. God has taught me how truly merciful he is and that no matter what pain we go through in this life, he is there for us. My relationship with Christ is what makes me a better father, husband, and human being. And here is Drew at his desk. Fatherhood educator in Stort, Florida. You know, church family, 
even though I fumbled a business meeting and even though I didn't have all the answers to all the questions to buy a bus, instead of shooting down my idea of a bus ministry, you were patient. You were patient with me. You were patient with my mistakes. And now Drew Gray, the age of 30, instead of being a drug addict, he is helping drug addicts come to Christ and become better dads. Drew texted me this week. He watches my parenting series, uh, and it is, he's using my examples in his classes that he teaches to other dads. Glory to God. You know what I want to say to you is Satan loses and God wins. Satan loses and God wins. Why? Because you were patient with a pastor who was making some mistakes, though good intention. Glory to God. I thank God that you were patient through my mistakes. Then there was the time when I was trying to fix a water leak in the boiler room. The contractor told me exactly what to do. I did exactly what he said. You pour gasoline on the styrofoam insulation and the little trough around the cement floor. So I went down, I took a picture of it. There, there's the, uh, the water heater. You see a little trough, just about, about, you know, three quarters of an inch, and it was filled with styrofoam, and so the water comes in, got out of the floor. So he said, you just put the gasoline in there, get a screwdriver, and you, you chew it out and, and pull it out. And no, no secretaries, no school. Uh, I was here all by myself, and so I did what he told me to do. And it was a really good idea for a while, I thought. Uh, until I got right next to the propane water heater with an open pilot light. Do you know what happened next? If you pour gasoline in the little trough near an open flame, it's, it's like, uh, the, the, it's like, why well, I, I saw it. I saw it. The, 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 uh, the flame does like a little arc through the air. Uh, like it goes through the air to the trough. It's like a little rainbow. But there's no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow, let me tell you. <laughs> this is not a funny story. I'm telling you what happened. I saw it. It was like a half of a second, and I saw the flame do this little arc through the air. I mean, through the air and through the fumes. And do you know what happened when it got to the end of the little rainbow? Kaboom! I mean, six-foot flames blowing up in my face. And I leaped out of the boiler room, and I slammed the door shut, and my heart is beating out of my chest. Now, I ran track, and I remember getting it up to about 170 beats a minute. This was way more than that. And I'm gasping for air. And you know when they say, when you have a near-death experience, your life flashes before your eyes? Not true. Not true. I'll tell you exactly what happened. What happens is this. It is tomorrow's newspaper headlines. Pastor dies in boiler room explosion. Pastor burns new church to the ground. That is exactly what your mind sees when you have a near-death experience. And so the, the building is burning. I'm outside. I see a ceiling tile. I grab the ceiling tile. I go back in, and I shove it in that trough, and I battle the fire, and I put it out. Proof that adrenaline makes you dumb. Right? <laughs> Adrenaline makes you dumb. You don't know what you're doing. And then I went to my office and I got on my knees and I said, God, thank you that I'm still alive. I promise never to do a dangerous thing in the building again as long as I live. <laughs> Mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I thank God for your patience through my mistakes. I got many more, but thank, thank God, love covers what? Multitude of sins and mistakes. I thank God for your church family. I thank God for our associate pastors and deacons. Thank God for your encouragement and your patience. I thank God for your support. Chapter 4, verse 10, 14 to 18. Uh, Paul thanked God for the faithful support of this church. Some call it a thank you note uh, for the money and supplies that he received from them. Because of you being faithful in your giving to God, the pastors and the staff can serve full-time in ministry. Now, on occasion, Paul worked outside the church. Uh, he made tents, Acts 18.3, but because of their support, he could go full-time. So can we. Paul wrote, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.14. Not just financial support, but also for the ministry. You know, this year we had to make a couple of difficult decisions that disappointed some people, but you showed support. We had teenagers who planned to go to a particular mission field, and, and because of the dangerous situation, we prayed, we sought counsel, and we said, you probably shouldn't go there, and we went to a different mission field. They made the trip, but there was some disappointment. But we had support. And then most recently, in just the last month, we had a trip planned to another country, and Pastor Joyner and I met, and we called, and we made, we checked with different things, and, and uh, you know, it wasn't even an official trip. You can, you can do what you want to do. It wasn't one of our sponsored trips, but we went to the church family and said, you know, the people that wanted to go and said, this is, this is not a good idea this time. And we disappointed them. Do you know what? And one of us in here right now, he said, you know, we're disappointed, but it's okay. It's okay. We support the leadership. Church family, I thank God for your support, even when there's disappointment. One more, number five. I thank God for your love. Paul says the love they share was so deep that he says in verse 8, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love, your love may abound, grow more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment. Uh, chapter 2, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. That's the sense, that's the sense clause. Because this is true, if there's comfort in love, fellowship of the Spirit, bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy, you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. In your notes, four times Paul calls for church unity in chapter 2, verse 2. Before he rebukes them in chapter 4, of those two women that are fussing, he says, My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord. He repeats it. My dearly beloved, I love you. Got to rebuke you, but I love you. Church family, you do it again and again. With the home going of my Father to heaven, you have literally said hundreds of prayers. You've shared sincere condolences and care, greetings. You've sent many, many cards. And I thank God for your love. Words, words cannot really express the gratitude that uh, Jody and I have to you. So there it is. Five things I'm thankful for from Philippians. I thank God for our associate pastors and deacons. I thank God for your encouragement and your patience and your support and your love. Now, I want to ask you, is there anyone in your life that you can thank God for this week? My prayer is that this Thanksgiving season, you'll, you'll grab a piece of paper, you get a pen, and you think, you pray, 
and you just write down some things, just make a little list of some things that you are thankful for, and then share it with God. And more than that, share with other people. You see, if this were your last day to live, and for any of us it might be, if this were your last day to live, and you come to the conclusion of this day and you enter God's presence, would this day, would this day be filled and overflowing with thanksgiving, words of gratitude, words of praise to God, to other people. Is that what you would be known for in your last day on this earth? Filled with thanksgiving. You see, thanksgiving is not just a day. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's an attitude. It should be who we are. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to give an account for how you've been living your life? Last question, are you truly born again? Are you truly born again? You can be today. May we pray. Father, thank you. I thank you for the Apostle Paul and his thanksgiving that he shared with this church and that we too can, can learn from it. And I ask, Father, today that if there be one here that is not certain that heaven is their home, may the Spirit of God convict them, draw them, into your family. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You'd say, Pastor, if I, if I died today, I know for certain that I would go to heaven because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have, I can say with Paul, I can say with Eleanor, I can say with Anthony, I am confident heaven is my home. And if you have that confidence as we, as we pause in God's presence, would you simply say with an upraised hand, I am a follower of Christ. I'm born again all over this auditorium. If you know you're saved, just raise your hand. God bless you. Thank you. You may put your hands down. You say, Pastor, I, I think I'd go to heaven. I hope I'd go to heaven. But I really have doubts. I'm one of those people you were talking about earlier in the message. God is seeking you. He is knocking and tapping on the door of your heart. He will answer the questions that need to be answered. But it is a decision, a commitment of faith to believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, that he is the Son of God. If you want to try and get to heaven on your own, you cannot make it. Baptism, good works, sacraments will not wash away your sins. The blood of Christ will bring forgiveness to your heart and soul. You say, Pastor, I, I have doubts. I want to get those doubts settled today. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Uh, no, no, no games. We're talking about forever. God will take away your doubts today when you trust him and commit your life to him. Anyone at all, simply raise your hand. I want to be saved. I want to trust Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior right now. Just hold your hand up high for a moment. I'll lead you in that prayer, and you can call upon the name of the Lord and receive this great gift. God bless you. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Anyone else? I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want these doubts to be settled today. I sense the Spirit of God tapping in my heart. Right now, you can pray with me from your seat. Sincerely, 
You can pray silently. God hears the prayer of our hearts as he did with Hannah, but it must be earnest. Pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. Me of all of my sins. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. Please save me today. With our heads bowed as we come into God's presence, Krista, may I ask you, is your heart filled and overflowing with thankfulness for what God is doing in your life and for who he is to you? If not, it's time to take your eyes off yourself and put it on Christ. We were made by him and for him. Until so you draw a line in the sand and say, beginning today, my heart, my attitude, my words will express thanksgiving to God and to others because he is a great God. May you bless in this invitation time. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. It is a public invitation, which means that if God has spoken to your heart about making a decision, maybe you want to come forward. If you want to talk to somebody about how to go to heaven, you want to get baptized, become part of the church family, you want to pray down here at the altar, uh, whatever the need is, feel free to step right out and you come as we sing together. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Would you come?